This is Fish in the Percolator, a Twin Peaks rewatch podcast. I am one host of three. I'm Lily, also known as Mothcup. I am I'm Sarah Zedig, also known as Sarah. I'm Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? What I th- I think we're talking about Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Any anything in particular? I think the first episode, right? The pilot? Uh, the pilot episode? Okay. The one that I thought we were going to start David with like Lynch 12 directed. or... We're, we're starting with the first yeah. one? Okay. Yeah, I think okay. we're starting with the first one. Of course, we're talking about the European pilot. You what? <laughs> what? Yeah, Nigel oh, Farage no. is in it. <laughs> <laughs> Twin Peaks starring Nigel Farage. <laughs> yeah, so... We just rewatched the first episode of Twin Peaks... What did we think? It's so long. Ooh. It's a thousand years long. Every time I try to rewatch the pilot, I ha- I feel like there's this barrier between me and like <laughs> this realm that I need to like push through again, like hack through like H Bomber guy. <laughs> <laughs> Get my face in there, you know. The first time I watched Twin Peaks, uh, when I was really young, like. Like my, I remember the like first being introduced to it just by my brother saying to his uh, then girlfriend, "Oh no, yeah, it's the the pilot's really long, but then it gets really good." Like <laughs> weird. <laughs> I I I love this episode. This episode one I, of the best episodes of television ever made. I enjoyed it a lot. Now I I like, yeah. I just that was like my intro to it maybe i was primed to for it to be very boring but like yeah they'd uh they were they were visiting us for the weekend and they like brought up the dvd and they were gonna watch it and they didn't make it <laughs> the first time yeah i'd say i have mixed feelings really on the pilot in terms of enjoying it strictly speaking because it, it's great there are some great moments it really sets things up it draws me in but at the same time watching it especially more times i feel so tired (laughs) i just feel so like i just feel exhausted there's something draining about it and you i feel like i have to ease into that like because it has a very weird kind of speed to it um the whole series you know yeah that's funny i'm with sarah on this though i i i think it's like fantastic and I, i like I definitely can remember watching it before and finding, like, like I was just saying, like, finding it just insanely long. But, no, I'm, like, I'm super into it this time around. Yeah. Like, really enjoying it. I think... Really enjoying the, the pilot. Uh, this time it went, uh, it went a little bit faster for me in part because I... W- this is the fifth or sixth time that I've watched the pilot oh, in boy. two years. So... I was kind of like walking around and saying lines, uh, like doing oh other things while I was watching it because <laughs> I've I've taken already like multiple pages of notes at various points in 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 my life uh, for this episode. So I, that was part of, pr- probably part of why it went a little bit faster for me. This episode is interesting because they got the order for the pilot. And they had no idea whether the show would get picked up. Hmm. And so they just shot it as if it was going to be 
its own movie. And that's the thing with like the European pilot is it has its own separate ending that was basically like, yeah, the idea is we shoot this episode and then for Dino De Laurentiis' studio, we sell it overseas as like its own movie on television. Oh. And I have this, I have this quote from uh, Michael Ankeen who played uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, the network sent me a couple of dozen scripts. Uh, Twin Peaks, originally called Northwest Passage, was far and away the best of the bunch, light years ahead of the pack. I didn't really want to do any kind of TV series at all, but quickly figured this might be a chance to work with David Lynch on a great little movie and not be obligated beyond the initial two hours. After all, there was just no fucking way any broadcast network in those days would ever give this sublime <laughs> mayhem a Whoopsie. slot on their oh, schedule. No. Yeah, everybody Poor thought guy. that this show had just no chance. <laughs> uh, and one of my favorite anecdotes is when when they were originally pitching the show, David Lynch had a hand-drawn map of the, of the town of Twin Peaks, and he was describing it, and he's like, so there's this wind, right? And it's moving through the trees. And then he makes like a whoosh noise with his mouth. <laughs> That's how he sold this show. Oh my god! (laughs) Those rubes at ABC bought it. Um, Wow. Anyway, this is this has been History Corner with Sarah Zedek. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) I'd like to talk a little bit about the theme tune. So please do. There's a lot you can say about the theme tune. It's the this the soundscape of the whole show it's ju- it just has so many like qualities it adds so much but i i always think like it makes me think of soap operas it makes me think mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. the the kind of slow drama of a soap opera theme tune and and i can't help but thinking while watching the opening you know, having all my thoughts during the extended opening. Imagine Neighbours with such a somber and dreamy theme <laughs> That's like, that's really interesting because I, I was, uh, like when I was watching the scene where they, the police are looking at the body, I was thinking how much the cinematography of it was like soapy, just kind of, just mm-hmm. the shot, the yeah. way the shots were was just incredibly, this is just a soap. Um, so it's really funny. Like, I don't know. I I think that's like obviously there's a there's a soap opera quality to it in general, and there's an intent in there. But like, it it just hit me very hard in that one specific scene. Yeah, and the the marketing as well being kind of that way inclined. Mm. Mm-hmm. To have the cliffhangers and questions and things. Right, like who who killed Laura Palmer is is has echoes of like who shot Jr. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, from from uh, Dallas. Let's do a yeah, podcast this, about Dallas. This is a podcast <laughs> about Dallas, um, the the city, not the television show. Oh, I lived fuck. in Dallas. It's bad. Uh, zero zero but out of ten. Do you know who shot Jr.? Uh, Was it you? No, probably some cowboy. Probably me. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I did it. It was me the whole time. That's why you moved to a different town. I did it. I got away. I changed my name. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, the show, there's a lot of uh, soap opera influence and a lot of reviews that say, like, made these days that it's a parody of soap operas. 
And I just don't think that that's true because David Lynch has talked about how he actually quite liked soap operas. He had like an affection for them. Mm. And so if anything, this is more of like a pastiche of taking the style of the soap opera and not making fun of it, but embracing it for its dramatic possibility. And of course, within the show, there is its their own like soap opera that they made. Yeah. Uh, for the show. But yeah, like the, the music is so bizarre and they actually made it before they even filmed anything weirdly enough it's so i think about the intro and compare that to like game of thrones and any of the other shows now that have these prolonged introductions and it's so weird there's thunder going on right now there's a huge storm oh. rolling through my area wow. which feels very appropriate yeah uh, for so sure. if, you, if you can hear thunder in my audio that's why Ooh. uh it's uh yeah the music is just gorgeous and otherworldly and i love that it appears everywhere in that like mm. they don't seem to have regular music inside the universe of the show <laughs> there's the yeah. part where uh bobby is leaving the double r and he's like here's a tune for you gals oh yeah and just plays a song that later gets used as like uh non-diegetic music yeah <laughs> it's it's so interesting yeah for sure for sure i had a so okay i'm going to use that as a seg to um a small detail that i had like an over fixation on um and it was exactly at that point where bobby was leaving the double r he said to norma i'll see you in my dreams and she said, not if I see mm-hmm. you first. And right afterwards, um, you know, they're in the car and they're talking about Norma. And she says to Bobby, I think she's got it hot for you. Bobby is so I have so to correct smug. you really quick. Yeah. Because I find this very important. Uh-huh. The, the line is, I think she's hot to trot for you herself. Oh. I just, just, it's important that hot to trot. I think it's vitally important. Maybe the most important thing. Okay. that we ever talk about in this show is that it is hot to trot. Thank you. I'm going to start saying this line in my daily life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to have got to be correct now. <laughs> I think about myself a few minutes ago when I was wrong, and uh, I, I think of this poor fool who had it wrong a second ago, and I'm disgusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just awful. Um, so... Um, yeah, so there's actually something that Natalie pointed out, um, my partner Natalie pointed out when we were watching it, was that, like, right after she says, um, I think she is hot to trot for you herself, uh, Bobby's so smug, but, like, what Norma actually said to him is a threat. Like, the idiom, yeah. the idiom, yeah. not if I see you first, is, like, a cheeky thing people say to each other, but actually, like, I'll see you, if, but if you say, not if I see you first, it means... If I see you first, you won't see me because I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and I just love that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's it's very good. And there's 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 a couple of like really good Bobby lines. There's also the don't take any oink oink off of that sweet yeah. pig off of that sweet pig or something, <laughs> which was basically when they were shooting that. I think the actual line is like, don't it don't take any shit off of that stupid bitch or whatever and oh. they filmed that and then the uh the the dp was like hey david this has to air on american television 
Okay. <laughs> and they're like, oh, just make up something. Um, yeah. Uh, there, I love Norma in general is good. Um, she is. And, and uh, that relationship between Bobby and Norma, I wish that that was something that got explored a little bit more, not in like a romantic sense, but oh, just yeah. there's, it's so, it's so bizarre. It's the sort of thing like, yeah, I think that your boss is hot for me. Totally. Hot to trot for me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a detail that I noticed that I just, that I don't, I don't quite know what to do with, but we see Donna's sister, Harriet, in this episode, and she's making poems. Yes. And right. she's just like a weird little solemn character. Uh, but she's sitting on her bed the whole time, and below her is a uh, pillow that's like hand stitched, and it says "Sweet Gal," which her arm is covering the L for a bit, so it looks like it said "Sweet Gay," which I really was wishing that that's what it said. Um, foiled again. Yeah, foiled again by the straights. <laughs> I, fa- I just I fell in love with this pillow because it's so nineties. There's right. something about like just a hand-stitched pillow that just says "sweet gal." Like there's there's an air of like naivete and like childish wonder about the world, where you see, uh, you see like cross-stitch things today that people make and sell on Etsy that are, you know, fuck this house or whatever. <laughs> like oh, yeah, it's I've... funny because it's like a you know yeah it's a it's a, cu- it's a cuss word, but it's just a oh, sweet gal. Yeah, that's. It's delightful. I th- I think to reinforce your point, we have a cross stitch of a like a burning church that my friend did for <laughs> uh, 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 my other partner. Um, like yeah. a burning church, and it says "Amen" underneath. So you know, <laughs> entirely reinforces your point. Yeah, that's an interesting detail. I love like the kind of fashion and housing and like little details in that. I definitely like there's this very much a sense of it being the 90s but also this like it's interesting the kind of mesh of uh culture and and a sort of time the way time is played with in fashion and things like that like the the long pleated skirts they wear and things like that I associate more with the 50s and things like that and there's one scene or one shot in particular uh, in this episode where Audrey Horn is getting out of or getting into a car and mm. the shot just goes to her shoes and spends a, just a kind of absurdly long moment on yes. these saddle shoes. And I'm just like, wow, yes. I love those shoes. <laughs> like, it makes me laugh. And I'm just like, yes, baby, yeah. you are fashion. <laughs> we get it. Like, <laughs> uh. Audrey Horn is, I, every time she's on screen, I feel my lesbian heart skip a beat. (laughs) It's, she's, she's absolutely wonderful. She's a force of chaotic good. Um, Yeah. When the Norwegians are leaving and she's just peering around the corner, just like triumphant, like she's so happy about it was incredible. (laughs) Just amazing. She is she is the anti-capitalist hero we need who's sabotaging <laughs> her father's corporation. Oh no. Had had break. 
Hi, this is Haley Rose. And this is Lily Blue. And we are the, the Good, Good Boys, Boys Girls. Hi, I love you. Hi, I love you. Hey, do you like to listen to the McElroy Brothers? You bet I do. Do you like to listen to the McElroy Brothers? Not only do I like to listen to them, but I like to watch them as well. <gasps> so do I. And if you're a fan of the McElroy family of products, well then, boy howdy, do we have the podcast for you. What's it called? It's called The Good Boys Girls. The Good Boys Girls. The Good Boys Girls. The Good Boys Girls. That's us. We're the Good Boys Girls. We're making this podcast where we two girlfriends talk about the McElroy brothers and their wonderful wives and families and everything and their content and it's really great and we gush and we critically analyze it's come on come on dad you know you want to come it's really fun and meanwhile we're very cute and adorable and we have a good time together we certainly do we certainly do where can we find this podcast? Oh, you know what? I think it might just be on LunarLightStudio.com every other Friday. Every other Friday? Every other Friday. Wow. See you there. I would like to tell you both about a couple of podcasts on the Lunar Light Studio Network. First is the Trans Questioning Podcast, hosted by me, Sarah. Sarah Zedek, that's my name. Hello. <laughs> he, uh, you did podcast before? I've done a pod. I do a podcast right now. You podcasted oh, before us. <laughs> you didn't tell us about this. <laughs> I didn't tell us. I didn't tell you about my other podcast. I'm so sorry. I have prior relationships. You have another secret family. do you have? Uh, so ma- I'm, I'm full of secrets. The Trans Questioning Podcast is a show about what it's like to be transgender, and it goes up uh, every Monday. Uh, some episodes are just me by myself answering questions, talking about my transition, and other episodes are me having guests on to talk about their experiences of being trans or uh, non-binary or gender non-conforming or any other marginalized sexual or gender identity. So go check it out on LearnLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dang, trans rights. Yeehaw! <laughs> the other podcast I want to tell you about is Mock Footage. Mock Footage is hosted by Ray and Joe, and it's a show where these two, these two folks just talk about movies, but the twist is that Ray has never seen a movie in his gosh-danged life. <laughs> So they talk about a movie like, say, Jurassic Park. And first, Ray has to tell you what happens in Jurassic Park. And uh, Joe just sort of says, like, yeah, that's, that's about right. And then they watch the movie together. Uh, and then they laugh about how wrong Ray was about <laughs> what actually happened in the movie. And it's, it's, a, it's a fun podcast because Ray really hasn't seen very many movies, and especially ones that are extremely popular and ones that we think of <laughs> as everybody having already seen. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. What's a movie? Oh, <laughs> uh, it sounds like you should listen to Mock Footage. Yeah. Can, can you find uh, Mock Footage at the Loon Light Studio homepage or wherever you find your podcasts? You can. It goes up every Thursday. Wow. Nice. That's the end of the ad break. I think that's very true, Lily, about the about the fashion, like the way it plays with time. There is like a kind of feeling of uh, the like you know a, a place that time forgot very deliberately. Like there's a it's yeah mm. there aren't people in shell suits. It's, yeah, it's it's the '90s, but it's the '90s where the '90s is nostalgic for the '50s, as you said. Yeah, 
Sarah, maybe you yeah. know why Bobby's jacket has a big T on the back, because this has puzzled me for years. Do you know? Uh, um... Hmm. I don't know that offhand. I can flip it through these books. And... Because I thought it might be for, like, Twin Peaks High School or something like this, but then I saw that um, uh, Mike's uh, jacket is a varsity jacket for their, like, for their high school, and it's not the same as Bobby's at all. So, like... I'm just as mystified as ever. Huh. Huh. I've always been like, I've always Curious. said to people like, Bobby's a real, real tool. And how you know that is, he's called Bobby, <laughs> but his jacket says it has a huge T on it. Like, that's not his name. What are you doing? <laughs> Get up, slide onto my bookshelf. I've got a book called Twin Peaks FAQ. Oh. Let's see here. See if anybody... Uh, F aid this cue. Consult the books. Consult the scholars. Yeah. I like hearing the book. Uh, it's uh, organized by theme. Oh. So there's different, like, they have like full dossiers of all the different characters. But, oh, let's see. Fashion. Uh, Pete, Dick, Tremaine. Jerry Horn, Benjamin Horn. Come on, give us Bobby. God dang it. <laughs> Again with the language. Ah, I'm sorry. If we're going to remain PG-13, we're allowed one dang an episode, and that was it. That was it. I'm sorry, everybody. Burned it. Burned right through it. You know, Google might help. I've just Googled possible. why does Bobby's jacket have a T on it, Twin Peaks, and there is nothing. Of course not. So this is the mystery of the podcast. There you go. There's my, my tentative new section for the podcast. <laughs> Mysteries. Unanswered questions That's of Twin Peaks. One. Why does Bobby's jacket have a T on it? Write to us at uh, throw your letter in the ocean. We'll get it. <laughs> and uh, then we'll know. Please. Please do it. I think okay. one of the early moments when I realized watching the pilot for the first time that I was getting hooked into this series was the um the jail scene right near the end where bobby comes in and he starts howling and it's yes. cut very close and it's you you have this like intense like he's howling james is looking like uh. and i just i just lost my mind Sad at that moment i felt like i was james look, connected yeah. to it in some way that was like yes. a pivotal thing for me, I think. That is an incredible moment. That howl haunts me. And it's <laughs> doubly haunting because it's edited so bizarrely. Yeah. Because it begins and ends rather than cutting away. I've always thought that it's like the... Well, I mean, there's more to it than that too. Well, but like, it's just that like when you watch like Neil Breen or something, all of the shots <sighs> like have a character like uh, one two they say their line and then one two in like every shot and it's just the way yeah. that the howl like begins and then ends and then there's silence and it's just like what the fuck like why didn't you oh, cut no. away you just and opened my mind to the to the weird <laughs> like i've only seen half of a neil breen film because i couldn't <laughs> handle it i wasn't ready <laughs> but now that you mention it it does have an oddly similar feel to twin peaks <laughs> <laughs> what what 
makes me obsess over that howl though is the audio of mm. it like the the quality of his voice because it's clearly like three separate audio samples huh. that get played where it's like he starts this howl and then it transitions into this higher pitch that's like it's almost in a different audio channel it feels right. like it's mixed differently and then it comes back down into something else that pitches down into like an unnatural low it's very demonic mm. i'm gonna have to go back and, and listen to it again okay i i th- it's actually like the linchpin of a th- uh. <laughs> linchpin of uh a theory that i have about the show about bobby that i find carries through the whole show fairly well but i won't go into that right now oh okay um <laughs> uh but it's it, but it is very demonic uh and i okay. think that there is a, a th- we'll find a thread of possession as we go on okay um who stole the show bobby in this episode since we're on bobby and we've <laughs> been on bobby the whole time it's bobby um there's just his performance as this like awkward but so arrogant like teenager is incredible like um he's he's having like lines delivered to him and like around him that are like light your fire cowboy that are like (laughs) the other actors are not handling the lines they're bad um but he's saying other things you know uh there there are lines that he says that are equally just just kind of terrible and again soapy like um uh, I'm not. I'm not thinking of ones off the top of my head, but like he, he responds with or, like equally awful lines, but he sells them like totally. I love his deranged confidence. Yeah, yeah. He definitely has the air of like he has this chaotic energy that is one step away from like a school shooter almost. <laughs> but yeah, but but almost like too plugged in i don't know Mm. it's so interesting he's one of my favorite characters in the show generally the way Mm. that he grows up over the series run uh i think he gets everybody everybody talks so much about dale cooper and people sleep on bobby good old bobby (laughs) okay Um, it's true it's true yeah i think for me the person I I really like Pete Martell. I think he really so his his he's only in it for a couple of scenes, but I Can't mean we Pete. named yeah we named our our podcast after one of them. Not it's not in this episode, but yeah, uh, just he his is the first voice that we hear. Yep. he says the lonely know, lone, folk, yeah. lone foghorn blows. I love that, and just the, you have this really sad dramatic moment. Uh, there's a body on the beach and he goes and he calls the police and then Lucy picks up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll transfer you to the phone that's on the yes. table. You know, that table, the one over there that we moved and it's so absurd. Yeah. And it's like, come on, we're, we're getting, like, this is, somebody's dead and this is what you're doing. And yeah. so he gets on the phone and you think, okay, now we're going to get into it. And Pete Martell is just like, She's dead, wrapped in plastic. <laughs> and it's like, it's so absurd. It's, it's such an absurd line. And the way that he delivers it. Immediately disorientating. Yeah. yeah. In a way where you don't know the level. Like it hints at 
the level of disorientation that is to come but in a way that is very small yeah mm-hmm. pete is just magical consistently i'm in yeah. danger of like naming pete the winner of the episode every time now damn <laughs> <laughs> he's a very kind of like he's a very normal man but then also he just i mean i guess this is true to an extent for almost all of the characters really where where they just have these moments and these conversations that there's just something off about yeah but also Lucy describing the phone unnecessarily and at length <laughs> is me tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Lily, I think I was saying to you the other day, there's um, something about that next to the creepier elements of the show really made something yeah. click for me, which is that like Lynch tends to do this like observational horror. It's like, so some somebody at length describing which phone when there's like there's one phone in the room um <laughs> is is really funny but it's observational humor because you kind of you can you notice someone doing something redundant and you go oh yeah that's kind of funny i'll put that in my show next time i'm like writing um i think there's like there's an element there's an air to things where like when you see something scary in twin peaks you kind of pretty much always i think you can trace it back and you're just like yeah he saw a thing and he was like, that's creepy. That's going in the show. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, Bob is the perfect example, right? Like, he was just a, a, a crew member, the actor. And yeah. and then he was just like, I, I like this guy's look. He's creepy. He's going to be the main creepy guy. <laughs> Do you know the story about why he actually, like... The, the big thing that got him in the show. Wasn't he in a shot accidentally or? Yeah, he's in a shot. It's the last shot uh, before the, uh, one of the, it's one of the last shots of the episode huh. when Sarah Palmer sees a vision of a masked hand picking up the golden heart. Uh, she sits up and the camera oh, follows gosh. her and there's a mirror in the background and you can see Bob reflected. I, yeah. In I the mirror, him and there. he he just happens to be there, and the the cinematographer actually caught it, <sighs> and he's like, "Hey, you're in this shot," and the guy who plays him is like, "Oh, sorry," and he like shuffles away, and then David Lynch is like, "Wait a minute, hold on," and he <laughs> looks at that, and he's like, "No, we're you, we we got to keep that in. We got to make him the bad guy." <laughs> oh my god, it's <laughs> the greatest. Yeah, thing. and that's there's so many things like that, uh, where it's it's amazing watching this episode how many details become important. And it's like Lynch's whole style is to everybody compares this stuff to like being dreamlike, like you said. And mm. I think that they take that to mean that everything that he does is literally exists in a dream, which is like the most boring take you could have. <laughs> uh, where, but for me, it's like he does have a dream logic to his filmmaking where everything is there for a reason but he doesn't necessarily know what the reason is and it all kind of coalesces over time for me too exactly into something that has meaning but it's meant to be like a box of mirrors that's exactly it it, sorry you go ahead (laughs) well i was i was gonna toss it back to lily and say who did you think stole this episode um i also really really like bobby's performance but i think having thought about it I think Laura Palmer's mother 
um, has an incredible uh, performance and obviously uh, is very central, not only mm. to the episode, but certain key kind of reveal type of moments, if that's, that's not quite the right word, mm-hmm. but you know. Her kind of, when you see her, like, first of all, looking for Laura, I love the way she's irritated. She she does this, you know, as you'd expect from a parent who's calling their child down to dinner and they're not coming, you get this, this irritated thing. And I, I love how that kind of starts bleeding into an increased worry and increased panic and then by the end of the episode she is in this agony that is that is just great to watch like it so viscerally frames the episode it's it's just the best that's so true yeah grace sabrisky is an incredible actress yeah i that's a really good one to pick out i really i really enjoyed her performance i i had a note on her um specifically uh in the structure of the episode um, and it ties into something that I think is like kind of important uh, to the show in general, and it's to do with that like that soap opera comparison, because um, obviously the show is called Twin Peaks, so it's a it's about the whole town, even though it was marketed around this mystery. And as you said earlier, Sarah, like everyone just likes to talk about Dale Cooper all the time, but like it's it's really not about one person or the, the one mystery. It's yeah. about what's going on in the town. Um, so. Here's my ramble. Um, the show like opens with Pete going on his fishing. Like he's going off to do some fishing. Uh, he encounters the body. He calls up the police. The police come to see it. The police say they 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 roll it over. They identify it's Laura Palmer, and it cuts straight to Laura's mother. Um, and she, as you're saying, Lily, is like at first annoyed why isn't laura coming downstairs and it escalates very quickly into this enormous panic and i think in that in that cut between scenes you've moved from a bunch of people who have laura or rather laura's body and they don't have the answers they don't have what's happened they don't have the people who are related to her they don't have anything else they just have laura's body and you go to the other system of people, which is, like, the parents, uh, Laura's parents, the other parents, too, because then she calls up, like, Donna's mom. And so it's about the... So there's kind of an apparent thing in this early episode where two systems of people are trying to find each other and trying to connect. So mm. it's about systems of people in that way. Like, you've got one system of people, which is the police... And another system of people, which is just more just kind of the community, although maybe it's, you know, parents of the school children as much as that's a community. And like, um, yeah, and and they they are two networks that are reaching out, trying to find answers. And then when they find each other, they find the things. Um, Yeah, I I just think that's relevant to kind of how the the show operates in general. So I thought it was really interesting uh, seeing that kind of clearly in the first episode. but that wasn't my whole note on her performance. Um, this is now this is a, a big spoiler, but I think as we've said, it's kind of not. Uh, <laughs> so, um, with the eventual reveal that Leland is the one who's possessed, and mm-hmm. like, there's this there's this kind of obvious reading I think you know, which is to do with abuse and like the way that's 
say in familial abuse there's kind of a, a second side to someone that's maybe this monstrous side and if it can be imagined almost like they're being possessed by an evil demon um and like uh especially when we when we get into fire walk with me which is much more individualistically about abuse rather than as i say twin peaks is kind of about systems of people um but it was in grace of performance that rising panic i thought was really fascinating because she you can read it like she knows what's happened like she knows right away what's happened and not just because she's a mother who's afraid of what's happened and not just because she's like catastrophizing and going to the worst case scenario but because she has known this day will come for a long time and now it's happened Mm mm-hmm and that gave me chills like this i you know it was specifically this time around i you know yeah i've watched it a few times yeah. i i know yeah. what happens but I, I it was just this time around i just thought really you can see the way she's acting as if she she knows exactly what's happened right away yeah there's uh, just, yeah zabriskie actually has said that she played uh she played sarah palmer as though she was she came from a family of witches and so there was this element that like david lynch actually liked that and had intended to play with it some but they never really got around to it but there was always this element of her being sensitive but i find it interesting in this episode that almost no one is told that laura palmer is dead they are they figure it out they already know like donna is the same way where she starts crying before anything has been said. And I find that very real mm. and like mm. so painful to watch. And I don't think anybody gives like a bad performance this episode. It's really hard to single oh, out yeah, totally. one person. Cause like Donna is so good <laughs> and the emotions that she goes through from finding out that Laura's dead to, running off with James and like kissing him and just this wide gamut of emotions with her is so strong. Uh, but her figuring out that Laura Palmer is dead and her just like covering her face and yeah, uh, it's so good. It's so sad. Really, really, really is the, the screaming girl who runs through the middle of the uh, school. Mm. Is she ever seen again? Is she established as a character? Cause my memory is that she is not, no, she is not. And there's been a lot of conversation about her. Huh. She's a fascinating thing, a person. I find her really interesting just because, like, the general mood is silence, but the general, like, um, like theme of people's reactions is that you can't predict anyone's reaction to this tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something I found so... Uh, yeah, I, I've been... I was inevitably going to get into this but i someone in my school in my year in school died when i was uh, a teenager although um like class wasn't in session when it happened like the scenes where um the kids in school are learning what's happened are just eerie for me like even though like i didn't have that experience of being in school and learning this thing and instead, I just kind of got it mm. like through social media, uh, 
while like during like a study break i think it was um yeah it was just it was just incredibly real and that's like when i've talked about uh rewatching this show at different times like the first time i watched it i didn't make it all the way through and i found it very boring and a few years later mm. after this thing had happened i found it to be insanely compelling um mm-hmm. and i think that ties back to what i was saying about observational horror and like the way that lynch constructs things like based on things he's seen that are real um because uh yeah i was saying to lily as well um may lights in her video at racerhead said that the she had a film professor who was really upset so upset by the baby in a racerhead that he had to leave the room whenever he screens it for students and he didn't used to be upset by the baby it's since he's had a child that he finds the baby so upsetting and i think that's just incredibly true for lynch's stuff in general it's just like you just as opposed to other horror where you like might be like scared of this thing as a kid and you come back and it's just like oh that's just a janky prop i don't care it's the opposite it's just like it at first it's a janky prop and then you come back to it and you've had some other experiences and you're like this is upsettingly real and that's how i kind of feel about the first scenes when they're learning it in the school i think we all kind of with time become a bit more and more like Andy just weeping (laughs) I find those scenes very interesting with him just crying because it's it's an interesting kind of thing in that it's funny that he's crying because he's a police officer you know dealing with the case and all of that but on the other hand like it's very not only obviously totally understandable but that there's this sense of like um like of course he'd be crying and then it just makes it just kind of makes sense of the whole show and the episode and and this like kind of unreality of emotion so it, it's kind of twofold in that it's it's clearly intended to be humorous, but it also really, I think, well represents kind of the visceral feel of things in a way. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's another thing I was going to say about my personal experience was just that, like, um, when... Because, Sarah, you said that no one's told, or very few people are told explicitly that Laura is dead in this episode. Uh, I remember my reaction to being told my friend was dead was like was just disbelief and i know that's like a fairly common reaction to that news but it was just like i was just like that's not a thing that's not true like, that's just a weird thing yeah. you're like saying I, I don't know you're just saying that um and i think that's interesting because like in a show that's so surreal i do believe that was a deliberate choice that you're pointing out there very few people are told that explicitly because it see it, it yeah, is a surreal reads, thing to it, just say this person is dead. Yeah. Well, and it reads as real to me mm. as specifically because like my mom died when I was 19 mm. and I remember uh I was in a place that had really bad cell reception and I don't think I even it doesn't matter. I, but I my sister kept trying to call me and it like didn't go through. 
but I just had a bad feeling the whole day. And then I checked my phone and I saw, you know, 13 odd messages and it was my sister saying, you know, please call me back. And it was like, like before I had even talked to her, I knew what the news was. Yeah. And it's, it's something that's always stuck in my brain. And it's like this weird, I can't really explain why I, why I would jump to that conclusion. Um, and maybe it's just a natural thing to panic. Yeah, maybe. And like try to come up with excuses for like what's happening. Like, oh, the worst must have happened. Mm. And in this case, it just happened to be right. But no, it's, it's a very real thing to sort of jump to that conclusion. Totally, um, yeah. I think we should talk a little bit at least about Dale Cooper. Sure. Because uh, he's an asshole. Yeah, everybody thinks of him as like, oh, it's sweet, kind, beautiful Dale Cooper, perfect, wonderful human person, which generally I agree with, but he's an asshole in this episode. Oh, yeah, he he so is. Like, he's he does not give the slightest fuck about these people. He is, like, here to do his job. He's excited when he's investigating the murder. He has no sensitivity. Like, what? (laughs) He's almost like Pee Wee Herman going around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah um it the the scene when they're in the town hall and Mm. uh harry truman is giving the kind of walking tour of all of the main characters yeah the very convenient, like, here's the exposition for who everybody is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Cooper is just like, who's the babe? <laughs> like, that's, she's, she's, it's Josie Packard, uh, which. Yeah, that stood out so much. Uh, yeah. I, I, I also feel like people don't talk about Josie enough. It's always struck me as so interesting that she is the first face that we see in this yeah. show. Yeah, and her totally. her character is so. There's this. I find it so interesting how she's almost like this very f- fragile, kind of wounded type of character, but then also like kind of guarded in a way. You know, there's this there's yeah. this wrapped up sense of like hurt, but also like this shield that's very interesting to yeah. me. Also, the most important thing about Josie Packard that I wanted to say is she is a Chad. <laughs> <laughs> she she is she has Chad energy to be that's sure. That's a Chad skull if I ever saw one. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I came up with a little while ago uh, a game because I don't particularly like fuck marry kill. I became I came up with an alternative called incel volcel chad. <laughs> <laughs> Should we title this episode Josie Packard as a chad? <laughs> <laughs> what an inauspicious start to this podcast. <laughs> Um, I gotta say, as a um, as a development of Catherine's character in the first episode, uh, trying to stop Josie because she has to protect the workers 
and then immediately firing one of the workers when she gets like uh doesn't get her <laughs> way is like fantastic it's just like oh she has a fairly good point in this argument i guess you know they they might lose out on pay oh no she just no okay she just wanted to be right and not, okay i see yeah oh <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah that's a that's a very good uh kill the dog yeah. kind of moment <laughs> yeah do we have any other observations any things we uh, i like how we just we just glossed all the way over cooper <laughs> <laughs> i yeah i mean I he's, he's just the volcel the episode <laughs> i think he's the volcel of most episodes i think like yeah. he's so <laughs> oh, this, strange i love this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so glad I could finally share my concept of incel volcel chat. <laughs> I've been wanting you. to get that out for um, a while. Um, I did have a point, which was that um, there's this line where the police say to Bobby, "You went, uh, you weren't where you were supposed to be," and it just ties back to that thing I was saying about systems of people. Mm. Uh, it's just a brief note. It's just that like the everyone can be out of their like expected routines everyone can not be doing what they're quote unquote supposed to be doing uh until something happens like until mm. a bad thing happens and then everyone needs to be accounted for and it's just a real sense of that in this show going forward especially as you like learn more and more about laura palmer leading just tons of different lives but also like everyone has tons of secrets and is up to loads of stuff there are like three or four affairs going on and like you know, it's everyone can be up to something until you need to know where everyone is. And it just really caught my ear, yeah. I guess, that line, you weren't where you were supposed to be, because it's like, no one was where they were supposed to be this morning. Yeah. Here's an interesting exercise. Um, so much of this episode is setting up the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer and creating the idea that there's nobody has an alibi and we don't get any solid answers. So imagine we don't know who did it. Who do you think did it? Based on what we were seeing in this episode. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> like, who would you suspect? Imagine you're somebody on the fledgling internet of 1990, and you just watched this episode, and you're going to the water cooler at your office job, and you're saying to uh, Jeanette, your coworker, I just... I just saw this television show last night called <laughs> Twin Peaks, and they, I, they, they killed they killed that girl. And I just I'm trying to figure out who the heck who the heck done it. At this point, a strong contender is Dr. Jacoby, who like creepily sidles up to people like to to Cooper and Truman, right? And yeah. is so strange and has these earplugs in. And he's like Gary Cooper, and then like and then like <laughs> smiles at them and goes like. Her parents didn't know she was seeing me, and it's like, "Fuck you, dude! What are you do? Get yeah. out of here! What?" <laughs> I yeah, he's like, first episode, he's probably I'd say has the strongest murderer energy, like, <laughs> yeah, murderer really energy who- rating out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a, a difficult one. Um, I'm gonna say Catherine, I think, because. Mm. She's just, like, so immediately, like, hellbent on trying to get what she wants and also is immediately shown to um, 
be quite willing to throw anyone away to get that done mm. or as part of that. Yes. So I kind of think, you could totally you know, believe that, like... I'm going to yeah. go... Well... Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go the, the Dark Horse route and say Cooper. <laughs> like, he's... Because the thing is, like, he's 12 years old. <laughs> and yeah. he, 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 he's looking to get, like really he he wants a promotion and so he he's staging these serial killings yeah for sure like special agent ben shapiro has come to investigate the murder (laughs) uh, but it was actually him i get it like totally well it's like he knows exactly what to look for like oh a secret letter that nobody else found and he reaches in that really uncomfortable shot just reaching the the the, yeah i do not watch that every time by the way yeah it's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's a bad shot. I mean, it's a great shot, but it's a bad shot. Yeah, um, I like that. I like. Yeah, yeah. He he just his his like delight at the act of investigating. Uh, it it that's just an interesting. Uh, uh, if if we're discounting the supernatural elements of the show, it's like yeah, that's a weird direction for them to go very soap opera (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. the fbi agent the whole time we're gonna get a flashback of him like washing blood off his hands i could definitely see that happening yeah you mean (laughs) like if it turned out that he uh actually had a whole complicated past with it like a nemesis where he was supposed to protect uh this lady that he cared about and something like that um, mm-hmm. And since then, the guy's been building like giant chess pieces to. But that sounds ridiculous. I don't know. That's like. That's... No, it's probably not that. That's that's like a silly thing. Never mind. That's a very silly thing to imagine. I had a vision of if it. That were... That's what happened. Yeah. If if. Okay, if... but Ted Cruz killed Laura Palmer. That's true. Oh. Ted Cruz did kill Laura Palmer. That's the Huge real one. If true. <laughs> Well, we've just uncovered it. We've just, we've figured Bye, it out. Bye, thanks for uh, listening to our podcast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think we should go down this road for another two hours. <laughs> I think it's actually a really fun exercise to do on each episode in general. I think that's like, I'd, yeah, I'd love to try and think it'll about. Be, yeah. uh, it'll be a great bit up until we get to the point where the mystery has been solved but then we got to keep doing it it's 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 a commitment at that point i think it's more fun after we're done with (laughs) after the mystery has been solved and we're just like we're just naming who was the most villainous in this episode as the pro they probably killed disregard the actual yeah well at that point i guess it's like who is bob inhabiting in this episode that's like the question yeah after that beautiful yeah. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fish in the Percolator. I've been Lily. Get me on Twitter at Cubmoth. I've been Eric. You can find me on Twitter at Curio Rambles. And I'm Sarah at HMS No Fun on Twitter, the website.com. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Farewell for now. I've been patting myself think... on the back through the whole podcast. I don't know. I should have yeah. told you guys. It's just... The sound was really distracting. But I'm sorry. That's okay. 
You can email us your comments, questions, and suggestions at fitpacast at gmail.com. That's fitpcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at fitpcast. We are hosted by the Lunar Light Network, and you can support us through their Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash lunarlighthq and picking our podcast when you sign up. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. <laughs>